please be seated. Not all of you were able to see the full drama going on in the baptism, but the sister of one of the children being baptized understood what maybe even the furniture artist didn't uh, in terms of the purpose of this baptismal font uh, as she crawled underneath it and took refuge beneath the waters of baptism. Now, there's a theologian, I think. She really understands the theology of baptism. It's delightful to be with you again. I celebrate with you your jubilee. And I love the theme that you have adopted for this time. Turning outward through acts of service that show people the real Jesus. That's a good theme. The ensemble sang for us this great song of Jubilee. You know, the Jubilee was something Israel never practiced. There's no record in history that they ever practiced it. Though it was a command of God, once every 50 years, there was to be this great political, economic, social equalizer. Everybody, once every 50 years, got a fresh start. All slaves were freed, all debts were forgiven, and all land went back to their original owners, the tribes to whom it had been originally distributed. So there was to be no multi-generational cycles of poverty or affluence. Private property and individual initiative were honored. You, at the day after the Jubilee, could sell yourself back into slavery again. You could be as slothful as you wanted and pay all the prices for it. Or you could be as entrepreneurial and exercise as much initiative as you wanted. But once every 50 years, once every generation, there was a fresh start. Fascinating, isn't it? You can see why Israel never practiced it. <laughs> the question is, will we? Jesus is our jubilee, as the ensemble sang. But isn't it interesting that the name the ensemble chose for themselves? Martyria? That's the Greek word for witness, but you also know from whence that word, or what other words come from that root? Martyr? To be a witness is to be a martyr. Is with my entire life to give evidence for that which I believe. Scott has asked me to lead us in some reflections on what it means for us to be witnesses. What it means for us as God's people to show the world the real Jesus. So I think we better pray together. Let's pray. Our Lord God, come by your Holy Spirit, the teacher, and lead us into truth. Not truth as ideas or clever thoughts, but a living truth, even our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Even to mention the word evangelism makes most of our palms start sweating and our hearts start racing and feelings of fear and guilt rise up within us, right? Uh, guilt that we don't do it very much and fear that we might have to. Because for some reason we have associated evangelism with images of aggression, of imposition. And so we feel awkward and embarrassed. But if I were to tell you about my wife or my mother or my son-in-law or my daughter who are here with us this morning, I would never get around to the sermon. I wouldn't feel guilt or fear or awkwardness or embarrassment. I couldn't wait to tell you about them and all I receive, how enriched my life is because of them. 
For some of us, if we were to talk about the Mariners or the Sonics, we wouldn't necessarily feel guilt. Well, some of us might feel guilt, but you know, I doubt anyone here would feel guilt. Many of us might feel fear, and some of us might feel embarrassment, but it's kind of of a different order, isn't it? Why is this? I wonder if some of it is because we fear forcing something on people that they may not want. We have this image of evangelism as telling people how wrong their lives are so they might discover how right Jesus is. Or how bad they are so they could discover how good God is. Well, no wonder that's kind of an awkward message. Let me tell you what a jerk you are uh, so you can find out how good God is. Well, that's not exactly something that sends me out into the streets with a deep enthusiasm and passion. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Well, let's deal with that for a moment. It might help us with this awkwardness and embarrassment we feel when we think of witnessing to our faith. Salvation. Salvation is not merely the forgiveness of sins, though it certainly is that. Salvation in Scripture is a word that conveys the notion of wholeness, of completeness, of life abundantly, of flourishing as people. That's pretty good news. I could handle that. Power of God for salvation. Not my own initiative and resolute will, But the word for power literally is dunamos, from which we get dynamite, this explosive power of the Holy Spirit poured out in us, propelling us, compelling us, this power of God that breaks through all barriers, that overcomes all obstacles, that will do anything to set people free to experience life in all its fullness. Life not thwarted by evil. Life not daunted by suffering. Life not dead-ended with death. But life irrepressible and overwhelming. The good news is that God loves us so much He accepts us the way we are. That's good. But there's even better news than that in the Gospel. And that's that God loves us too much to leave us that way. I want to be accepted, but I don't want to just be accepted. I want to be changed. I want to be different. I don't want to just remain as I am. I want to grow. I want to experience more fully the goodness and the grace and the holiness of God. I want those vows that were taken at my baptism to become realized in my flesh. I want to be clothed in the dignity and the beauty and the character of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Well, that becomes something rather encouraging to communicate, doesn't it? It might help also if we distinguished a little between our role and God's role when it comes to Christian witness. God is the evangelist. Jesus says in John 16 that it is the Spirit of the Father who will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. We are not those who must convict others. We are not the judges of other people's lives or of their salvation. That's God's role. Jesus is the judge, not us. And this judge is the one who exercised his judgment by being judged on our behalf. That's pretty good news. Our role is to be witnesses to that truth. 
to be martyria, to be martyrs with our entire lives to give evidence to that which we have seen and experienced. Now, to be a witness implies I've seen something. It means I've experienced something. Our daughter is a lawyer, and I watched her first trial the other day, and, and her cross-examination of witnesses was terrifying. You know, I wouldn't have wanted to be one of those witnesses being cross-examined. At least I would want to be sure that I was telling the truth. Otherwise, I would have just been made to look foolish. To be a witness implies, obviously, that I know something. And I will set my feet on it firmly, knowing that it is reliable. You can't give away what you don't have, can you? And so part of this jubilee is God's invitation to us to draw closer. God's invitation to us to be swept into God's embrace. To receive this good news that God loves us so much He accepts us just the way we are, but God loves us too much to leave us that way. To allow this life-transforming power of God to lead us ever more fully into salvation. Witnesses expect to be cross-examined. That's what happens to witnesses. They are cross-examined. The word Christian is obviously a noun, capital C. We are Christian. There is something to, about which we believe. There is a relationship into which we have entered. And we will be examined about that as witnesses. But the word witness, or the word Christian, is also an adjective, isn't it? Small c. Someone who by their life expresses the character of Jesus Christ. Our world is divided by religious nouns. It will be united by a Christian adjective. By those who manifest in their character, in their conduct, in their attitudes, in their actions. The very nature of Jesus Christ. Even as a noun or an adjective, we will be cross-examined. We will be cross-examined by the harsh fires of suffering. Do we believe? We will be cross-examined by the ego-driving lure of temptation, by the, the crushing pressure of conformity to our culture around us, by the icy winds of doubt. We will be cross-examined. And the Spirit of God would give us the capacity to stand in the midst of that cross-examination and say, I believe, I do. It's true. Mahatma Gandhi was once asked, what will it take for India to become Christian? It's a good question. His answer was compelling. All it will take is for Christians, capital C, to be Christian, small c. Jesus said in John 13 that the world will believe we're his disciples by our love for each other. The most compelling evidence of the truthfulness of the gospel to the world will be our capacity to love those people who are different than we are. So you go to Stevenson Elementary not as an act of charity, but as a necessity. It is by your capacity to love people from a background different than your own that you will authenticate to an, an unbelieving, skeptical, doubtful world the truthfulness of the gospel. 
And so we come to the great commandment, which was our gospel text for today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we engage as witnesses, we are participating in a love affair, the most extraordinary love affair of all time, the greatest love affair of the cosmos. God's love for His fleeing, broken, fractured, doubting, bleeding creation. And this is a love that extends from our minds. Yes, we love God with all our minds. We want to put our minds around the difficult questions of the gospel and of life. And so you'll all want to go to Dick's class uh, at 1110 to learn how do we understand and love Muslims. We love God not just with our mind, but with our heart. It is an emotional deal. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It has some passion to it, as all good love affairs do. And it is with our soul. It is something that stands the test of time all the way into eternity. But it's also with our bodies. It's with our strength. Martyrs witness ultimately with their bodies, giving evidence, testimony to that which they believe, that in whom they have placed their trust. And what do we do with that love? We allow that love to penetrate so that we can accept God's acceptance of us. This great war that is raging within each of us, this enmity against ourselves, this refusal to believe that we are acceptable, this relentless effort to try and make ourselves lovable by how we perform and how what we produce and how we accomplish things. We have to accept, no, I am loved because of God's goodness and grace, not because of my own merit and virtue. And then with that, then we are empowered and set free to express it to others. We love others as we have been set free to love ourselves. Without regard to their performance or their accomplishments, without regard to how unattractive or despicable they may be to us, we love them because we have received that kind of love. Scott and a group from here are making their way to Rwanda today. One of Carrie's and my heroes was a Rwandan Anglican priest. Was, I have to say, because he was killed during the genocide. Uh, Alphonse and Tassien decided to live in one of the slums of Kigali. Uh, That was not where his work was, but they wanted to identify with those who were poor in Rwanda. And he, every morning, would dress in his suit, preparing to go to work at a publishing company where he served as an Anglican priest. And his wife would grab the bucket and go to the village, the slum tap, to get water. And several weeks of this went by, and it occurred to Alphonse one day, this doesn't make any sense. Why should my wife have to carry this 25-pound bucket of water? So he took the bucket from her and went to the tap in the middle of the slum. And much to the amusement of the women who were all there, and much to the dismay and derision of the men who were watching... Alphonse filled up the bucket. He wasn't as clever as a woman. He couldn't balance it on his head, so he had to carry it in his arms, sloshing water all over his suit as he made his way back to their house. Day after day, Alphonse did this to the fascination of the women and the utter horror of the men because no self-respecting man would carry water. One day, a little delegation of women appeared at Alphonse and Tassian's door after Alphonse had gone to work and said to Tassian, can we ask you something? And she said, sure. What, what herb do you give your husband? 
what herb do you give your husband that makes him so kind? And she said, come in. And she opened up the scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Our Old Testament passage from Micah. If, if this passage in Matthew 22 is what we've come to call the great commandment, Micah 6 gives us the great requirement. What does the Lord require of us? Verse 8 begins. But to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. Our world is dying from the lack of kindness. Our world is crumbling under the weight of the absence of humility, the press of national and political and business leaders seeking to maximize their share and their gain at any price to protect their assets at any cost. And our world is fractured over the absence of justice. What is justice? We've come to view justice as judgment of evil and sin. As retribution for wrongdoing. But literally in Scripture, the word justice has the same meaning as the word righteousness. It comes from the same root. Justice is to make things right. I adjusted my tie this morning to try and make it straight. I adjusted the right-hand margin on my word processor yesterday to make it straight. I justified it. To make something just, to adjust, to justify, is to make something right. All we're doing when we're seeking justice is seeking to make life right. We're not seeking to punish the wrongdoers and get those guys. Justice, in that sense, is as good news for the victim as the perpetrator. Because everybody needs life to be made right. To be made straight. To be made as God intended it to be. And so justice is integral to the ministry of the church. Justice is integral to Christian witness. Just as is kindness and humility. And you separate those three from each other and you have only justice and you may have something harsh. You have, something, you have only humility and you may have something that is trounced on continually. You only have kindness and you may just give in to evil all around you. But we seek justice and we love kindness and we walk with Humility. And there are times when not just with our lives and with our deeds, but there are times also when God calls us to witness with our words. Always with words of intercession, praying for those around us. And sometimes with words of explanation and invitation. Because when our lives and our deeds reflect the very character of Christ, people are going to ask us the question to which only Jesus is the answer. I recognize it is not simply because of your own virtue and merit. It's not simply because of your own affluence and middle class upbringing. It's not simply because of your own whatever, but there's something else about you. What is it? What enabled a painting of a landscape or of a few sunflowers to sell each for $80 million? There's a signature on it, wasn't it? It was a Vincent van Gogh on the sunflowers and the Paul Zazan on the landscape that warranted a price of $80 million. And so in our lives, this is painted by the Lord Jesus Christ. That which I do, I can only do because of God's grace in me. And so Christian witness is simply putting the name on it. It's simply giving the explanatory word. 
few years ago, I was involved in preparing a group of college students. This is many years ago, actually, now. Few becomes bigger as time goes on, doesn't it? Um, this was many years ago. Preparing a group of college students for their first cross-cultural encounter with the recognition that it is really poor stewardship to have one's first cross-cultural relationship created after getting off an airplane. You know, there are plenty of opportunities all around us for that. And so part of their orientation was to understand street prostitution in Seattle, especially adolescent children, street prostitution, the hundreds of kids in Seattle that are involved in prostitution still. It used to be across the street from the Pike Place Market, there was a donut shop uh, that was, now it's a Discover Washington store or something like that. Uh, but it was the center of teenage prostitution in Seattle in those days. These boys and girls would wait there for someone to come buy their bodies. And so these university students from the UW went in there in groups of two or three, and their assignment was just to try and understand the life of a street prostitute. One of the university students fell into conversation with a 13-year-old boy and started asking him questions. How did you get on the streets? Where do you sleep at night? What's it like? How do you feel when you get dumped off in the car after having some guy buy your body? And soon this 13-year-old asked him, why are you asking me these questions? Do you want to buy my body too? And the university student said, oh, no, I'm a Christian. And the 13-year-old said, well, many of my clients say they're Christian. Well, no, I'm, I just want to understand. Why? Why are you a Christian, the boy asked. And so now this university student very simply explained the gospel. And holes in donuts became analogies for empty lives and crumbs on plates for brokenness. And this 13-year-old said, I want that. So there in this donut shop, the two of them prayed and the boy accepted Christ. Now what was the university student to do? Gee, praise God. This has been wonderful. I've got to go now. Couldn't do that. Got on the phone and called his parents here in Bellevue and said, Hey, Mom and Dad, I've got a friend who needs a place to stay. Sure, son. Any friend of yours is a friend of ours. The boy realized what he was doing and said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come home too. Uh, he, I don't know how long, maybe just a few days he'll need to be at a place to say, sure, son, bring your laundry. So they moved back to Bellevue. And this 13-year-old boy experienced love like he'd never experienced in his life. He had never had family meals before. He'd never experienced family devotions before. He'd never seen a house like this before. Uh, everything was new and he just blossomed. He just came open. Like a flower in the sunshine, he just soared as his family loved on him. One night after about two weeks, this boy developed a very severe headache. Uh, and it became very serious. He was lapsing in and out of consciousness. They raced him to University Hospital. Turned out he had a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, and it was inoperable. There's nothing they could do. And as the parents and the university student gathered around this boy's bed in the intensive care room at the UW. And as he was about to die, the three of them wept at the injustice of this, it seemed. The unfairness. This little boy had just experienced life and now he was dying. And, and as if he could read their minds, he said, why are you weeping? I've experienced more life in the last two weeks than in the previous 13 years. And, and that which I experienced in the last two weeks makes everything else worth it. And if what you have said to me is true, you have said there's only more yet to come. And I can't wait. And he died. What would have happened if that university student hadn't had a donut? 
What would have happened if he hadn't invited him home to his parents here in Bellevue? This is this great love affair in which we have the privilege of participating. This isn't a sweat-inducing, heart-racing, awkward, guilt-laden duty. This is our engagement in the greatest love affair in the cosmos. To let the world know that God is kind. May God bless you as a congregation in this year of your jubilee. As you manifest here in all the manifold ministries of this church. As you manifest in Bellevue and at Stevenson Elementary and in Rwanda and around the world. The kindness of God. Amen.